Hey, Oysters. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that we are starting to build resources for you, our beloved audience, but we need your help. Shoot us a message at oysteryourworld.com and let us know when you want to learn. There's a lot. Visas, finances, picking a destination, language learning, navigating new places. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. So which ones would you like to know first? Let us know at oysteryourworld.com. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome back to another episode of Oyster World Radio. I am your host, Nathan Lieberman, and today we're going to talk about how, well, how the Lieberman family decided to do things a little bit differently for the holidays this year. Do you see if anyone's even moving? Yeah, they're moving a little bit. Of course. Why would, why would there not be a traffic jam? What time does the flight leave? 2.50. So we got an hour and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've all been there. That mad rush before a flight. Usually the family stays home and opens presents, eats a fantastic lunch and lounges all day or heads to the nearest family member's house. But this year for Christmas, we decided to go to the farthest relative's house. In Germany. Now, I have never met this side of the family before, and I have really only heard stories about them. So this was the first time I got to meet the other half of people that makes up, well, me. And at the same time, I got a nice glimpse of the world I'll be diving into in a few short months. Hello! Hello! How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? So my mom was born in Germany, so you can probably guess that all these relatives are from her side of the family. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about our family history. Well, in uh, when my dad was about 14, that's when World War II ended, and he was a German citizen living in Germany. And at that time... The people in uh, where he lived in southern Germany, they were very hungry. And what he recalls is the Americans came in. Uh, there were a lot of military men there from the U.S., and they were extremely friendly to the children, including my father, and would provide them with food. And were you know he just never saw such friendly people, and I think that made a big impression. And as he got older, it became evident that he wanted to live in a place where people that nice lived. And uh, a sight unseen, he decided that at some point in time, he was going to figure out a way to get a job in the U.S. so they would sponsor him and he could then get to the U.S., get a green card and actually live here. Uh, he was so confident that he would like it that, and he didn't really have the money to come here and explore and then go back. That at that point in time, my mom and he had, they were married. She knew his plan when they met. And, uh, they then, they then had me, and I was two years old in 1959 when the three of us got on a plane 
and flew to Indianapolis, actually first New York and then Indianapolis, Indiana, and there he had a job near Indianapolis, and that's how we got here. That is so insane to me that if my grandpa didn't make the jump, if he didn't like America so much, if he wasn't poor and hungry, I wouldn't be here right now. That's so insane. But, you know, that was a hard journey. And that was my grandpa's journey. So that doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of the family had to go. And it didn't seem like any of the other relatives were interested in that, only my father. Now, they visited, but I never heard that any of the others really wanted to leave Germany. How often do they visit? Um, not that often, actually. My grandmother, my mother's mother only came once, and but she did stay for three months. And a few of my aunts came two or three times each. And that's about it. And then we did go over there four times as I was growing up and visited all the relatives. So you've only been there four times. 22. Okay, uh, seven times I've been there total in my life. So not a lot, even for my mom. So strange to think that such a large part of the family is so far away from us, but, well, better late than never. And just like that, we were off. After eight hours, a lot of travel miscues, and a sleepless plane flight, we finally landed in Munich. Our first stop was in Augsburg, about 30 minutes north of Munich in Bavaria, where I got to meet my mom's cousins, Mox and Anami. I've never met Mox before, but one thing was for certain, he was a lot like my mom. So that reaction was to this. So here we are. Four Americans plus Mox makes five. And four large American-sized bags piling into a regular-sized BMW. Needless to say, we didn't exactly fit. No vans here in Germany. Or any really big cars. But I was just glad that this thing had four doors and five seats. We made it! Don't breathe. No breathing, Max said. Oh, we're here. Just like that. <laughs> After what seemed like a half-hearted attempt to tie down my bag, in an open trunk, of course, which contained my entire life for the next two weeks, we hit the Autobahn. And after I finally overcame the fear of potentially seeing all my belongings scattered along the Autobahn, I finally looked around, soaking in the amazing landscape. It reminded me a lot of home in Ohio. Lush forests covering rolling hills in every direction. It was so green, even for winter. But the one thing that stood out immediately was the efficiency. German efficiency is absolutely a thing. As Max stormed down the road at 270 kilometers an hour, or 168 miles an hour, the drivers on the road followed the unspoken rules that people here in the States wished on every level that we would follow. 
Each lane dedicated to a particular speed. The left lane only used for passing. Trucks must stay in the right lane. No impatience or wild cards. It was magical to watch in person. You don't even realize that you're cruising at over 150 miles an hour. So it really didn't take that long to reach Augsburg. <laughs> and that's when I got to meet Anami. We'll say hi for bag? Oh, okay. Hello. Hello, Shannon. Welcome. Thank in you. Hello. 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 Anami spoke very little English, but that didn't stop her remarks from making sure we felt right at home. It's very good. Is it drunk? I always say there are many percent. <laughs> yeah, when you say the percents on the table, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Augsburg was a beautiful city, about the size of Columbus, and they take Weihnachten, Christmas in German, very seriously. But I could not get over how deep the history this city had. You hear about Berlin all the time, but Augsburg was a key industrial city for the Germans during World War II. And like most other German cities during the war, it was absolutely leveled. And Max, who was just a kid as Allied troops came pouring into Augsburg, remembers what it was like at the end of the war. I I remember uh, my parents and and I, I was about five or six years old, we were in Kitzingen and uh, the boy from, the, the neighbor boy and, uh, and me uh, built a, a hill on the street. There was no tear or asphalt, that was only uh, stone and, and, and sand and so. And we heard, half an hour later, we saw the Americans are coming with tanks and they shoot in the ping, ping, ping. And we are playing on the, on the street. Wow. And when my mother heard it, oh, come in. Wow. And in the, uh, near, the, uh, near Kitzingen, where grandparents lived, there was a... a Airport? From the military, military airport. And uh, if the American and the English uh, came and uh, threw their bombs, it was a nice fire. I am a little boy. Nice fire. It, it bang and uh, fire. And I went in the, in the house up in the Speicher. So. Mm-hmm. There was a little window, and I was looking. looking. It's uh, 
there was fire and was oh it was wonderful. My mother my mother looked for me and schwapp I was in the keller. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Did you know and in the, the garden uh, from mm -hmm. our parents, there was a, there fell a bomb about five, six meters, there was a, a hole. Mm. Wow. Did it, did Not it, in the house, only in the, the garden. garden. No problem. Did, did it explode? Yes. The now we can it. laugh. <laughs> yeah, now we can laugh. <laughs> oh. I couldn't come close to imagining growing up during the war, or even in post-World War II Germany, let alone hearing shots in tanks while I'm being a six-year-old in the street. But his stories also remind me why I'm proud to be an American. I was asking Max what the Americans threw to the kids right after the war when they came up with their trucks. Mm. And he said, chewing gum, bananas, which they had never eaten chewing gum or bananas before, and Orange, then he swallowed her gum. So because she didn't know, <laughs> and then up apples, yes. and cho little chocolate, and little cakes, little heart cakes. Or a little box meat, and so, mm -hmm. so on. Kommen die oft? Like, did they come often? Or uh, in Augsburg, they came with a truck on the street, Friedberger Straße, that's the main street to Augsburg, and the second thing was, uh, there were, on the train there was no wall. Uh, there were two, uh, two lines, and if the American are sitting in the wagon, and we children were near the, near the train, they threw it to us. Hmm. Not always, sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. It was like Sunday, if we had chewing gum and ah, oh. <laughs> we didn't know chewing gum. It was hard if you are in the Russian zone. The Russian uh, take millions of uh, German soldiers to Russia. They must go in uh, uh, Bergwerk, they must work under the hill and uh, uh, like to work for for ply, for iron, for and so on, and uh, most of them died in in Russia. They came. My uncle came back after ten years. The brother of my father. Ten years later, yes. Wow. Ten years. The most were uh, very sick. They had uh, only. A, a little bit to eat and no doctor and, and so. Because it was one Germany, but then they d divvied up after the war. The Russians got this piece, the Americans got this piece, yes. and then... Yes, the English and the English French. And the French. French. Yes. Yeah, and the Americans uh, treated them the best. We talked about World War II a lot throughout the trip, but it all came together when Mox and Anami took us to their favorite beer garden. First of all, this thing was founded in 1464. 1464. That's 553 years old, or 2.3 times as old as the United States itself. That's crazy. 
But anyway, we went to this brewery because it was supposed to be one of the most popular in the area. Always full of locals trying to get a buzz after a busy workday. But when we got there, there was no one there. Maybe one other table across the restaurant, but that was really it. Box and me were really confused, and well, so were we, but they were still serving, so we got our food, great beers, and headed home, and it wasn't really clear what had happened until later when we figured out why. 54,000 people were evacuated from the city of Augsburg in southern Germany after construction workers discovered an unexploded World War II bomb on Christmas morning. Because of the size of the 1.8-ton bomb, the evacuation zone was 1.5 kilometers. Although evacuations of this sort are common, this is the biggest single evacuation for an unexploded Allied bomb in post-war Germany. Yeah, you heard that right. A 1.8-ton British undetonated bunker buster was found in a construction site. And the craziest thing is that this is common. Max and Anami just brushed it off. Eh, we get one every couple months. Are you freaking kidding me? We were freaking out. Of course the restaurant was as empty as it was. It was in the evacuation zone. That didn't stop us, of course. But could you imagine something like that was found in the U.S.? We tend to be disconnected from the events of World War II and the events that we learn in history books. But man, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like going to the place where the event actually happened. Pretty insane. And with all these bombs and excitement, time just kind of flew by in Augsburg. And just like that, it was time to move on to the next phase of the trip. Gunzenhausen. Oh, it's already done. Hi, Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. <laughs> and now I know your brother, too. <laughs> Hello. Hi. This is uh, Nate. Nice to meet you. I'm, I'm Dominic. Nice to meet you, Dominic. Nate. Nate's your name. Yep. Yes. Okay. Yep. Our, our son. Oh, very tall. <laughs> like you guys. Yeah. We can build a... We can, I, I stand here and so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not Between used to... Between us, be, kind of. Yeah. Not, not yeah. Somebody being taller than you. I, I'm used to being the tallest really? one, so it's yeah. really it's weird being like, oh, hey. Yeah. I'm among my people. Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Hi. Shannon. Hi, Shannon. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Now, now he now. knows why he's so tall. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Hello. Hello, Natasha. How are you? Nice to meet you. Oh, I just dropped on my side. Hello. Schön. Schön, dass ihr da seid. Nice to be here. Very nice. Yes. So this was a moment when a lot of things started to make sense. Dominic and Benedict, more cousins, were tall. Dominic was my height at 6'3", and Benedict stood at 6'6". I never knew where my height came from being the tallest member of the family on my dad's side. Even their laughs, smiles, and personalities just resonated with me as soon as I met them. It was surreal. Benedict even practices Muay Thai. I mean, come on. That's pretty crazy. That's as close as it gets. But uh, I'm in contact with him uh, every, every, nearly every two two three days. What's that? Do you want coffee or tea? Do you want coffee or tea? Do you want coffee or tea? 
Sitting down to lunch with everyone was a dream come true. Benedict and I nerded out about Muay Thai. Dominic talked about his recent trip to Nicaragua and his love of travel. My cousin Ruth and I exchanged broken English for broken German, back and forth in a cultural charade. It was full of laughs and was one of my favorite cross-cultural conversations. In this type of conversation, everything is interesting. And that's because both of you have never lived in each other's cultures. And there's nothing like trying to dissect the everyday of your own culture and try to explain it to someone that has rarely or never experienced it. Something about putting it into words or translating into another language. You start to look at things a little bit differently. Parts of your life that seem so concrete and take it for granted are now given some thought. From work life to cars to politics to technology or even the hot dog versus the bratwurst. 
everything starts to be dissectable, broken down into puzzle pieces, a little less concrete. So rewarding, but also incredibly taxing and humbling, especially when trying to translate to German. I was pretty confident going into Germany. I've been practicing my Duolingo, my Rosetta Stone, practicing speaking with my mom. I thought I was ready. (laughs) Not at all. I had nothing. And a normal run-of-the-mill conversation was incredibly taxing. Because I remember there was a time where it was kind of taxing for you. Here's me and my mom. And here's her take on talking in German and translating in German. I'm not listening. So was there, do you remember a turning point or maybe a conversation or a visit where it changed from this is extremely burdensome to like, okay, I'm starting to grasp this? Um, I don't remember like the moment, but I know it was with Anami and Mox probably on the last day right before we left and we went to the restaurant with the bomb. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> No, it, it started to flow at that point. So it took about three days. And then I started to think more in the language. It was a little bit taxing, but I, I only realized it when we got back. And I didn't have to translate anymore. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you guys were gone, and I didn't have to do that. But, I mean, I, uh, I actually enjoyed it, to be honest. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But basically, I need to step up my game and put myself out there more. The language barrier is real and should not be underestimated, especially for a first-time language learner. But that's why listening to my mom was so interesting. She wasn't 100% fluent, and when you don't practice all year round, some of the words escape you. And that brings us to our final stop on our Deutsch trip, where we met up with more cousins, Harry and Ingrid. Hari is Max's brother and really quirky but a hilarious guy. While Ingrid is always full of energy but didn't know much English. And that's what made watching my mom operate so fascinating. It was how she communicated to family members that knew little to no English. She really embraced the practice of what we like to call cultural charades. Here's an example. Uh, my mother, yeah. Mom, I said, they're just throwing jabs at each other, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. And then Ingrid said, what did she say? Uh-oh. <laughs> she said, uh, sucks. It's jabs. And sucks plus it's a joke. Ha-ha. Joke. And then she said plus ha-ha, we comedians. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you catch it? Here it is again. It's a joke. Yeah. So, okay. Mom didn't know the word for joke or to jab at someone with a joke, so she acted it out by saying ha ha and poking at Harry, and Ingrid picked it up right away. She was awesome. And most of the time, her family members got what she was saying, even if they didn't know any English. Not only is cultural charades effective, but it makes you the life of the party. I lost count of all the number of times my mom would act out a word, only to be met by laughter and praise for even trying. People love even an attempt to speak in the native language, and my family definitely got a kick out of it. I feel like the language dance is a rite of passage for all language learners, and you can bet good money on the fact that I am going to have a lot more cultural charades in my future. 
like in your experience, I mean, a lot of people are really afraid to do that. They're afraid to even start because they're afraid of those moments. Do you just plow through them or do you uh, have a strategy and how well does it actually work? (laughs) Well, if you, when we were in Germany, a lot of the relatives that knew some English were very afraid to try to speak that English because they didn't want to appear, I guess, stupid. And for me, I think if you really want to travel and get to know cultures, you need to just go at it 100% because really the effort is worth so much to the people that you're surrounding yourself with. And okay, and I think gesturing and letting it all hang out is is a fantastic way to learn because many times, you know, I say ha ha and then I will find out what the word is for comedians sometimes if they do understand me, which isn't was not always the case. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, having guts and courage in everything you do is super important, and that act 100% includes trying to communicate with others. I mean, I just went to Costa Rica. I don't hardly know any Spanish, maybe three words. And when we were in the taxi, our taxi driver didn't know any any English. So I got on my phone, and I started to just figure out what to ask him, and he got such a kick out of it. And then when he responded, we looked that up. So we learned a lot, my girlfriend and I, doing that and actually having conversation with him. Christmas in Germany. It all went by in a blur. From Augsburg to Gunzenhausen to Hamburg to Aachen. It was unbelievable. Already. <laughs> this is already cool, yeah. That is schön. Yeah. yeah. That's the nicest shark I've ever seen. <laughs> but in the car from using, you mustn't be very loud. Be silent. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes. You smell that sausage. It's like, it. <laughs> We can try it. The door is yeah. open. Okay. Yeah. Hello. 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 You're nothing. You're nothing. Uh, know about uh, Germany because Susie only knows shopping. <laughs> uh, you uh, you uh, only know uh, Reeperbahn. Yeah. <laughs> genau. And, and you pubs, and you are learning it. it seems to be gay, but isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Did someone think you were gay or something? Yeah. Only Oh, yeah, and like, this book girl was really strong about it. <laughs> ah, it's so strange. Like, you just drink beer, you uh, don't drink meat, you don't drink coffee, you do yoga. And, yeah, it seems to be gay, right? <laughs> <laughs>
Fundamentally, I feel different. Fulfilled in some weird way. It's like I answered a lot of questions about myself that I didn't even know I was asking. This trip gave me a piece of myself that I was missing. A piece of my identity. But it also clarified who I was as an individual. Not only could I see where I came from, but also see how I was different. And how I added something unique. It helped solidify who Nathan Lieberman really is. It made me cry a little bit. I think it's the reason why people travel. Because um, we were in the car and just talking about seeing people from other cultures. And it makes you uh, look back on your own life and reflect on it. And, um, you know, decide where you want to go next. And so it's like that perfect pause where you get to be outside of yourself, see where you are and where you want to be. And if you don't travel, you never see it that way. And I'm going to cry again. (laughs) This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. I want to thank all of my family in Germany for letting me record you the whole time as well as my family Rick and Suzanne Lieberman and Shannon Lieberman please leave us a rating review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget if you want to chat about it if you want to chat about anything just shoot me an email at nathan at oysterworld.com and we'll be in touch thank you all again my name is Nathan Lieberman this has been a hell of a good time Until next time, I'll catch you guys later.